the book of Jeremiah, chapter 21. We will be studying verses 1 through 10. We come to the portion of Jeremiah where he starts speaking woes. And that's, he's basically pronouncing judgment. You go, I thought we were already there for 20 chapters, Travis. Well, he kind of amps it up a little bit in chapters 21 through 28. He's going to speak to some kings and some false prophets, the priests and the nations. He's really going to tell them, you've done bad. 21's kind of what's setting it up. You're going to see the heart of Zedekiah, who is the king he's speaking of at this time. So let's go to the Lord. As we see Zedekiah's heart, we want a different type of heart than Zedekiah has. And we don't get that heart unless the Spirit changes us. So let's ask the Lord to give us a good heart. Father, we come before you once again, and we are thankful for this day that you've set apart from the other six. We're thankful for hearing the gospel this morning through Pastor David, the assurance that we have through perseverance, Father, that you give us. Father, we pray that we will look to you tonight. Please give us hearts that long to love you and to serve you and want to spend time with you. We know that your spirit can do your work, so we ask that he would. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 1, chapter 21 of Jeremiah. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, the son of Malchiah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Messiah, saying, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants into the people, and the people, into this city who survived the pestilence, sword and famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword, shall not pity them or spare them or have compassion." And to this people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I've set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. And thus sends the reading of the very words of God. Well, there are two types of people in the world. One type of person in the world likes to take their clothes in their closet, and it brings them great joy to get rid of the ones they don't wear. They haven't worn in a couple years. They put it in a bag, and they give it to Goodwill or give it to somebody. And it brings them great joy. And there's another type of person who says, well, you know, I may need that one day. I better not get rid of it. 
My wife enjoys taking clothes and getting rid of them. As a matter of fact, one year, a few years ago, she did this dirty trick on me where my, my hangers were not facing toward me. They were facing the wall. And every time I wore something, the, the hangers got moved around. And then you realize at the end of the year, hey, you haven't worn this in a long time. And she looks at me at the end of the year and says, Travis, you haven't worn this. When's the last time you wore this? And I was like, 2004, it was a good year. That was a great shirt. I may need that shirt. Just like this tie that I haven't worn in almost a year and a half. I thought to myself, tonight would be a good night to wear this tie. And oftentimes we have things that are in our closet that we don't wear but once a year. We pull it out every now and then. Maybe you have a car that you shine up regularly and you keep it in the, you know, in the garage and once every two years when it's perfect weather and there's no pollen, you may take it out and drive it around and you put it right back where it is. Or I know some of you, not saying your names, you may be an EMS worker. Maybe you have a lot of, of things that stay in a safe that go boom and you never use them at all, but you got to have at least 27 of them, right? <laughs> this is the South. We can say that. There are people that are like that, and we all kind of have those things that we keep just in case every now and then. We've got to keep it just in case we need it. This is exactly what Zedekiah has done to God. For nine years, as he's the king, wanted nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, his dad Josiah, from the reign of Josiah, Almost 30 years, no one cared about God. No one cared about the truth. No one cared about the prophets. But now all of a sudden, they're in a rock and a hard place. Maybe we can turn to God. Pull them out like an old tie that we don't use regularly. If you take taking notes, we're going to see three things here. The first thing we're going to see is presumption. The second thing we'll see is penalty. And the third thing we'll see is plea. Presumption penalty, and plea. And as we look at presumption, look at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah. You may wonder who King Zedekiah is. And oftentimes when you're reading the names of kings, you kind of have to pull out a commentary or go online and just Google search. I know you Google things nowadays. Ask Jeeves if you're really old. You just click and... All right, you ask, who is... King Zedekiah, and you'll see he has another name, and oftentimes they'll have different names depending on who has conquered them at the time. When I was in China, I met a girl named Sarah, and I said, what is your real name? And it was uh, Kung Kwa, which is, has to do with something in the springtime and flowers. And you see that. They, they take a different name. So when you're reading the kings, you have to say, well, which king is this? And, and you remember Josiah, right? Josiah was the good king who who tried to reform everything. He took down the high places. He took all the altars and he got rid of them. Well, he had three sons. One was a dud. He only reigned for 11 months. And he was the, he was the uh, middle son. He was a dud. And then he had another son that reigned. And then he had a grandson that reigned. And eventually his youngest son, the baby, was Zedekiah. And he had seen his brothers. He had seen his uncle practically tell God, we don't care about you anymore. Everything that Josiah set out to do was upside down. And Zedekiah appears in a pickle, and this is what he does. He says, he sends this man named Pasher, not the same one we read about in chapter 20, but he sends him, the son of Malchiah and Zephaniah the priest, 
the son of Messiah, saying, and, and these are the religious elites. One you're going to see is the religious elite, the other is the political elite. These are the two group, the two representatives of Judah, the powerful, powerful people, maybe the people that he went to in chapter 19 and, and broke the flask in front of. Eventually they got older and they're there, but they need help. And this is what Zedekiah says, verse 2, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, a king of Babylon, also the Chaldeans, it's the same people, so you may see Babylon, you may see Chaldeans, same thing. The king of Babylon is making war against us. Well, there's a reason that Nebuchadnezzar is making war against them. This is not the time where he destroys the temple in 586. This is two years prior. This is two years prior. And my brother, when he passed, I, I got his Bible. He had just got it. And it only has, it's, it's missing a book. And you may say, your, your brother's Bible's missing a book. Yes, it's missing the book of maps. The 67th book of the Bible. I don't, he doesn't have maps in here. But if you look at your map in the Bible, it will help you understand this passage. Right? In, in the book of maps... <laughs> You're going to see that, that the promised land sits here, and just to the west is going to be the sea, the Mediterranean, and to the east is the desert. And to the north, you're going to see where Babylon was, or you're going to see where Assyria was. And to the very south, you'll see Egypt. And if you notice, it's a very strategic land. Because any time the Egyptians wanted to go north, they couldn't really take a boat. There wasn't a lot of good boats back then. They had to walk through Israel. And anytime someone in the north wanted to walk south, they had to go through Israel. I mean, you didn't want to go through the desert. You went through the land of Israel. And it seemed that every king wanted to strategically take this land. You take the land, people pass through, they pay a tax, and they would get richer and richer and richer. And God said, I'll give you this land that everybody else wants, and I'll take care of you if you trust in me. But see, here's the problem. Even before they got to the land and they looked, there was, there's, there's big people there. They're big. What are we going to do? And then God basically drives them all out and they get to the land and they keep doing the same thing. Well, how are we supposed to fight for ourselves? We're little. I mean, Babylon and Assyria, they're huge. Egypt, Egypt's huge and they've forgotten Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. If what? You just be still. If you just trust in me. And as long as the king of Israel, the king of Judah, as long as they trusted the Lord, the Lord would take care of them. But see, Zedekiah said, I can't just trust in the Lord. I need to, I need to make alliances. This is what got Josiah in trouble. If you read Chronicles 35, he didn't trust in the Lord only. He's like, well, I better stop Egypt from going up to fight Babylon, so he kind of gets an arrow stuck in him. That was his downfall, actually, in Chronicles, was not trusting in the Lord. He says, well, I need to, I need to assist Babylon because the Assyrians are bad and Babylon's going to take over them. Every single king that came from the line of Josiah seemed to do this, and Zedekiah's in a pickle because Egypt said, hey, if you team up with us, we'll take care of Babylon. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And if you read through Ezekiel, it's really fascinating, chapters 23 to 27. Ezekiel is angry. 
Because he says, how dare you? He's in Babylon already. How dare you make an alliance with Egypt? Why would you go back to the very people that enslaved you? He's railing against them for doing this. But see, Zedekiah thought, when Babylon comes and they found out that I'm not in alliance with them anymore, you know who's going to come to my rescue? Egypt. You read about this in 2 Kings 24. We know the exact date. We know the situation. And all of a sudden, when Babylon's knocking on their door, we're coming to get you. How dare you make an alliance with someone else? Guess who doesn't show up? Egypt. See, the Lord's not the first person that Zedekiah turned to. The first person he turned to was Egypt. He turned to a foreign pagan nation before he ever thought of turning to God. And he comes to Jeremiah. After Egypt said no, after he has nowhere else to turn, he says in verse 2, Inquire the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. An entire decade. He's already been on the throne nine years. But he was a child under his other brothers and his uncle. All those years of idolatry. All those years of allowing pagan gods to come into the temple. All those years of allowing even child sacrifice. All those years of just checking a box, not caring about God, worshiping all the gods you can, and now all of a sudden... You think God could help us a little bit now? Isn't that presumption? You know, when I was a junior, all juniors in the school I went to was able to go to a winter formal. And I'll never forget, it's my first time going to ask a girl to a winter formal. And it's, I said, I'm going to do it. And I had this girl picked out. I'd talk to her. And I said, would you go to the winter formal with? She goes, yeah, I, mean, I guess I will. I was excited. Come to find out, the three guys that she wanted to ask her never did. So she just said, well, I said, why'd you go with me? Because no one else would go with me. <laughs> you know how special I felt? I didn't feel very special at all. You mean I'm just chopped liver here? <laughs> That's basically what I was. And here's the God of the universe who set Judah up with everything they needed. Loved them, was in covenant with them, protected them, gave them everything they want. And they turned their back on them for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, after Egypt won't help, now they won't help? So you need to understand, Exodus 20, you, you know the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. In Exodus 20, when God says, do not worship other gods, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, you were slaves, I did this for you before you thought or did anything, I rescued you. He says, do not bow down and serve them. Why? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want your attention to be with other gods. He doesn't want you to worship other idols. He will share his glory with no one. He will not be relegated to a tie that's in the back of your closet that you pull out every now and then to wear. He said, no, this is not the way you treat the God of the universe. 
I'm a holy God. I'm a special God. I deserve all the glory. And here comes Zedekiah, just presuming upon God's grace, thinking that he can use God as a special rabbit's foot. You know, it's quite different than King Hezekiah. Now, I don't do this often, but if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 19. But when you go home, one of the things you want you to do for homework, because I only have 30 minutes here, I want you to take the prayer of Zedekiah, you call that a prayer, and the prayer of Hezekiah. They're both in the same situation. Hezekiah is a king that has the Assyrian army. That's the one that Nahum speaks about. That's the one that Jonah went and visited Nineveh. You probably heard the story of Jonah with the fish and everything. So th this is the Assyrian army. Hezekiah, same situation as Zedekiah. Both kings of Judah. One king does something quite differently than another king. This is what happens in 2 Kings 19, verse 14. Look at this prayer. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Basically, Sennacherib's mocking Yahweh. He says, we're going to take you. It's going to be easy. Kind of like Goliath did to the God of Israel. He's mocking him the same way. He receives this letter. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, and throw between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the nations of the earth. You have made the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Continue to read. It is true. The Assyrians, kings, have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have known their gods into the fire and destroy them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. This is a little different than the prayer we see prayed by Zedekiah. We see him in sackcloth also. Sackcloth was lamenting. It was repentance. It's a little different, isn't it? Presuming upon God's grace, taking a high position, saying, you know what? You've helped people in the past. Why don't you help me too? Help me get out of the situation I am. It's quite different than Hezekiah saying, may everyone know that you're the living God. How dare they mock your glory? You see the difference? Massive difference. We don't presume upon the, the grace of God is grace. We come to God in a lowly, lowly position. We don't go to Jesus Christ and say, you need to save me. You better save me because you said you saved people and I'm worth saving. That's not how we go to Jesus. We go to Jesus saying, I don't deserve your salvation. We don't put on sackcloth anymore. But oh, whoa, do we take that low position? And we say, I am nothing. I can't presume upon your grace, but would you please, by your grace, give me that which I cannot do, which is salvation. Zedekiah? Oh no. He just said, you know what? God's helped other people. Why can't he help me? I mean, I'm the king. I mean, isn't going to help his people? Nine years on the throne. 
and you don't think about God. And now all of a sudden you think you can just go to God and he's going to save you because you're a king. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon, this penalty. I went to the Florida Keys. I've been there a few times and I don't know if you've ever been to the Florida Keys, but when you go, you have to go to the Hemingway house. It's a really neat little place. Ernest Hemingway was a prolific writer. Um, he wrote a lot of books. Some say he was the, the greatest writer that's ever been born on American soil. And one of the things you learn about Ernest Hemingway is he lived a hard life. As a matter of fact, some would even say that the Bloody Mary was named after him. His wife hated that he drank so much. In the morning time, he says, it's just tomato juice, and they invented this drink for him. They said Ernest Hemingway traveled quite a bit, but he always felt at home on a bar stool. <laughs> That's what they say about Ernest Hemingway. Married four times, woman after woman after woman. Some would even say drugs. The alcohol really messed his mind up. He was that much of an alcoholic. And in 1992, a man wrote a book, a biography called A Life Without Consequences, Ernest Hemingway. What an odd title for a man who had a lot of consequences. You think that's a good thing? No. People live their life as if there's no consequences. Judah's going to have consequences. Because of their sin, because of the rejection, because they did not care about God, they're going to they're have consequences. And verses 3 through 7 is a big consequence. And it may be hard to stomach and hard to read, but we're going to read it. Verse 3, Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. I will bring them together in the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm, in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people in the city who survived the pestilence, sword and famine into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword. He shall not pity them or spare them, or have compassion. You talk about consequence? That's a lot of consequences right there. That's a lot of wrath and fury. And you know what the truth is? Hezekiah, when he cried out to the Lord, was rescued. The entire city. As a matter of fact, some believe that he was the one that put together the, the Psalter that we see today. The way it's arranged. He was excited. They went back to singing the Psalms and everybody was worshiping the Lord. We even see Isaiah write some great things after this, right? <laughs> we love the, the sermons of Isaiah. But what's striking is Zedekiah and Hezekiah both were in covenant with God. Did you think about that? Both were circumcised. Both were in covenant with God. See, there's consequences when you're in covenant with God. Now, there's great blessings. 
I'm excited to take the Lord's Supper tonight because Jesus is going to be with us in his spirit. And if you went to Sunday school, in my class this morning, we talked about the Lord's Supper and how Jesus is with us in his spirit and how that can happen because he's 100% man and 100% God. We talked about that and how exciting it is that Jesus is going to be present with us spiritually in the supper. What a blessing. Some of you are going to take the supper tonight and walk out strengthened in your faith going, Jesus loves me, and I'm going to, this week, serve him with everything inside of me. And you're going to be excited. That's what the supper does. It literally strengthens your faith and strengthens you. It's incredible when you come to Christ in faith. But see, if you take it wrongly, there's cursings because you know what you're doing. Same thing with baptism. Is it not? We take our little Christian children and we say, please save our Christian children. Could you do to them what you did to us? Could you save them like you saved us? The reason the punishment was so bad for Zedekiah is because of all the teachings he had. Because of all the blessings that he had. You had the temple of the Lord. The very temple built by Solomon. That temple where the Shekinah glory came that temple there you had. But you didn't care. You would rather put horns on the very altar of God where the sacrifice was going to be made. They literally put pagan horns to false gods and Zedekiah was okay with it. People think God is obligated to take anyone. Zedekiah, why did, why did he deserve it? I mean, he was, I mean, he was evil and wicked, but what about Buddha and Muhammad and Joseph Smith? Name your prophet. God is not obligated to take anyone. God takes in people like Hezekiah, people who are repentant, people who trust him, people who know they are sinners and want Jesus Christ. There's one way, right? There's one way, and that's through Christ. And, and honestly, I know there's some people that are preachers in here. Sometimes in this church, you're preaching to preachers or those who teach Sunday school. Sometimes you have to force yourself to speak about the horrors of judgment and the horrors of hell. It's not fun, but I will tell you this. You need to speak on them because you can't speak about the horrors of hell being poured out upon Christ if you don't speak about how bad they are. So every time you're talking about how bad they are, this punishment is terrible. But that's what was poured on Jesus. And that makes Jesus look all the more glorious. That's what we deserve. Everything you read, three through seven, everything, that the horrible wrath was poured on Jesus. That's why we read these passages. Because we know they're pointing to that's what Jesus did for us on Calvary. All of it. As bad as it is, it makes Jesus look glorious. Because that's what was poured out upon him. That's the reason we could take the supper with smiles on our face. I like what David said. <laughs> smiles on your face. You got to tell your face a little more, right? <laughs> Which brings us to the third part of the sermon, this plea. Pastor David and I and whoever preaches from this pulpit, we are basically in a long historic tradition of Presbyterian pastors and Baptist pastors and others who actually love Jesus, who holds out hope to people. Hope. When all seems dismal and nothing seems like it's going right, you still get hope preached. 
This passage is all about hope. Well, I thought you said it was real bad. Oh, it was pretty bad. The punishment was bad. But Jeremiah says there's still hope. Though judgment is coming, God's not going to completely destroy you. When it seems that everything may not be going right, there's still hope. Look at this in verse 8. And to this people, talking to Jeremiah, God says, you shall say this, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. If you are a true Sunday school teacher, pastor, preacher, if you... If you're a lady and you teach younger women, or if you're a young lady and you're sharing the gospel with someone, what are you doing? You're holding out life and death. You remember Adam in the garden? Remember the tree? God says, don't eat of this tree. He's saying, hey, you want life or death? Life or death, what do you want? Do it your way or my way? Think about Cain. Hard work in Cain. Man, it's hard work doing being a farmer. God says, you, you want life or death? Bring me a sacrifice of blood. Don't bring me those. And he says, I don't like yours. Well, you get life or death. Your choice. Think about Noah. Build this boat. Big ark. Life. Build it. Death. <laughs> don't build it. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Right? Life or death. Or even Abraham. Follow me, life. Don't follow me, death. Isaac, you want to trust the God of your father? Just lay there. Have we thought about that before? Abraham and Isaac, that sacrifice, just lay there. Don't run off. I know some of you be running real fast. I already would too, right? I'm getting out of here. No, he had faith. I'm just going to stay there. I trust my dad, his God. His God's good. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe that the resurrection is true. Or Jacob. Here comes Esau, he's coming to kill you. You've got all this land and all this property and all these servants. He just turns to God, afraid. He's like, God, and God's like, life or death? Life or death? You've been scoundrel your whole life. What do you want? He's like, I want you to bless me. I want it from you. I don't care about my consequences. And he wrestles with God. He wants life. Tips a little out of joint afterwards, but he wants life. Joseph. Thrown into slavery. Life or death. Your situation's terrible, Joseph. You didn't do this. Well, terrible. Life or death. He's like, I want life. Even in Egypt, away from my family. Didn't deserve to be thrown into slavery. That's just Genesis. I haven't even got to Exodus. You don't even like Leviticus, but it's all through Leviticus also. You can go through the whole Bible. It's a whole Bible of God offering us life or death. Life in Christ or death. This is what we see. Life or death. Through Christ, it's fully offered to them. But it doesn't look like, look at verse 9. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans, who are besieging you, shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Life or death? Life? Go surrender to the Chaldeans. But they're a mean army. This is all you get, right? Or death, you stay in the city and get destroyed. It's kind of like when my wife gives me a choice. You want cauliflower or beets? 
Well, what kind of choice is that? Cauliflower or beets? Like, that's not a choice. It doesn't seem like this is a choice, does it? Go surrender or get destroyed in the city. And oftentimes, God will give us choices like that. Well, if you live the Christian life, it seems like you get the choice between cauliflower and beets. But see, what you don't know is that God has a plan. Right? God has a plan. The best thing that ever happened was their exile best thing that ever happened to them was exile. God used that to get their hearts right. And God may be using a terrible situation, but you choose life when you choose to believe that God is good and your situation is good and that the Savior is good and he saved you for a reason. That is life, though it may not look like it. I often think about Noah right? Hey, get on this boat. Now, I'm sure we like, oh, that was a cool story. I wouldn't want to be on that boat when the flood was there and it's flopping around everywhere. I mean, that, that, that would have been scary to me. Maybe you just think differently than I do. I thought it would be scary, but praise the Lord, he made it through, which brings us to our conclusion. As I thought about this sermon and thought about the sand coming down from an hourglass or our clock, tick-tock, tick-tock, TikTok. There's this thought in people's mind that I'll wait to the last minute and then I'll finally repent and get my heart right with the Lord. Like Zedekiah. I mean, all these chances. Jeremiah's preaching to him, right? In his ear. He didn't like Jeremiah. Ugh, get him out of here. You know what? I'll just wait. God will be here next week. God will be here next week. You say, the thief on the cross waited to the last minute. I thought about this. The thief on the cross, I don't think he got a decade of preaching. He didn't have opportunity. That was his one opportunity, and he took it. Now, it's true, as long as there's breath and God can save you, I believe that 100%. But I also believe... Jeremiah chapter 21. And I believe that Zedekiah made a bad decision. And Zedekiah should have listened to Jeremiah about 10 years beforehand and this wouldn't be happening. And I encourage you to think about your own life. If God is granting you repentance or giving you an opportunity to live for Him or call upon Him, take it. He doesn't promise He'll always give you any opportunity. I pray and hope that we'll learn that tonight. I pray and hope we'll know how good our Savior is, that He gives us an opportunity. And I think, I pray and hope when we take the supper that we'll be strengthened from the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word.